is this team better without Ronan Fitzpatrick? Right? stop shop for news views and overreactions to all things nfl it's been a while but now we're going to start our preview of the upcoming season with the afc east so hey we got connor we've got ronan hello we got sean hello. and we got harry i'm back in pog form yes he's a <laughs> sentient pog who is now podcasting it's horrifying uh, please kill me <laughs> experiment gone horribly wrong so we're gonna kind of kickstart this week on our on our preview but how have we all been lads it's been i think about seven or eight weeks since the last pod and probably about a year and a bit since you were on harry so uh how's tricks and cork boys grand yeah the weather is improving and vaccines are on the way and seems to be getting slowly back to normal i haven't done any of that going to the pub stuff yet but uh, i have been to a, a sh- the bookshop so that's first step very nice mm. moving on the up that chain of uh, social value yeah, yeah. You, it, it's it's like it's like a game you got to tick off all the all the achievements <laughs> moving to the final boss which is like temple bar nightclub <laughs> i think the biggest thing that's happened to me in cork besides just walking around a lot is that uh, i started getting neck pain so i started i've had a big pile of books on my kitchen table so now that the uh, my laptop screen is roughly in line with the top of my head it's very ergonomic very economical altogether very good smart smart move protect yourself from that neck pain uh what about yourself harry how's tricks <laughs> well apart from that I'm, I'm slowly melting because it's like 25 degrees here at the moment unlike these dorks who've been worrying about their books and their computers uh, i've gone back to the gyms have reopened this week which i'm very excited about i've gone back and in two sessions of the gym i've managed to injure my trapezius my pectorals and my latimus dorsi so that's going really fucking well as you can tell awesome. <laughs> and yeah other than that just uh, you know was involved in uh, uh, launching a new political party which is exciting but i'm not going to take over your sports pod with uh, <laughs> boring political stuff join the party we're great yeah sounds good yeah similar i went i was in the gym this morning and i realized that one i have significantly weaker than i remember and two a lot of people are beating hard trying to get right back into it where they were there were several people who are clearly croaking themselves around me in the in the gym it's a move, move back to it slow guys you know uh, rehab rehabbing nothing nothing too wild or crazy i was up to donegal and down to carry visiting family and all that kind of stuff yeah, that's a, that's about it. And we started started the Dungeons and Dragons game with a couple of the lads, uh, Harry Harry included in that. So that's a that's good fun. We've got a few bits of news to crack on through before we get into the preview. So we'll go through the transactions. There's probably one major one to talk about, which is uh, Tennessee have traded a 2022 second round pick and a 2023 fourth round pick for Julio Jones and a sixth rounder uh, in 23 from Atlanta. So obviously Julio Jones, they spent quite a bit of capital to get him back in the day. He's been a superstar in the league, probably top three for the last five years plus at this point. He is on an all right contract for for the next two years, looks quite reasonable. So uh, that's maybe not too bad. But Atlanta were in cap hell. They've just drafted a superstar tight end, apparently, fourth in in the first round there. So they think they can move their offense away from from julio uh, this seemed cheap to me for uh for, for for getting a player of this quality but i suppose again deandre hopkins not that anyone should benchmark any trade by that deandre hopkins trade he only went for a second and a, and a fourth and a player in, in in that swap so it does seem to be for some reason teams maybe overvaluing picks post draft because i would think if you asked a lot of teams out there a lot of fans out there a, a second rounder next year and a fourth rounder the year after for julio jones on a three-year affordable contract i think most teams in theory should be biting your arms off right i think that's a fair analysis but you know the counterpoint i suppose is first that he is 32 he obviously coming off a season where he missed more games than usual i know a lot of people say Oh, he, like, there's a lot of talk that he's injury prone and he does obviously miss a lot of practice, but he generally plays. But last season was an example of where he did miss substantial time. And obviously, you, you know, it's a single data point, I suppose, but it can be transposed to some risk. And I also think like there's, there's a certain view that the wide receiver position is due to the successes in the drafts in recent years, perhaps due to the transition to more college-like offenses by the NFL, that the wide receiver position isn't as premium a position as it might have been you know, five years ago. For Julio Jones, I think it was a good decision. I think that the relationship with the team uh, had basically broke down. And for Tennessee, they sounded like the only team that was willing to uh, fully go all in and stick out the kind of 
obstinance of the Atlanta front office. Because, like, Atlanta, like, you know, the, the reduced cap didn't really affect that many teams, but I think Atlanta were in a position where they were literally unable to sign their draft class due to cap hell and couldn't get people like Grady Jarrett to, to do some, you know, chicanery on their contract. This feels kind of weird because obviously they kept Matt Ryan. They're obviously still a contender by that choice. I suppose it just things came together in such a way that they felt that they had to make this move to make it through this year. Uh, yeah, for Tennessee, very top-heavy offense, as we'll talk about in the previews in, in the coming weeks. You know, very exciting given what they have AJ Brown and Derrick Henry to work around. Yeah, I mean, the up the upside is obviously huge given Jones's talent. And I think it is great value what they're getting for him. I don't actually think it'll end work work out in the end for reasons we can get into in the AFC South preview sometime in the future. It's exciting. It'll bring the fans in. It'll make them, it'll give the team a bit of energy. And if it works, they could go all the way or they could go quite deep. I happen to think it won't work, but I can certainly see the logic um, behind it, taking that next step when you already, you have a team that has a lot of talent and has done a lot of things, but is falling just a little bit short in the playoffs. He can be the game changer, but he is old and I'm not quite sure he's good as he used to be, um, but certainly one to, to look out for. The Titans will be interesting to watch in the first few weeks of the season. I think back, was it you England gave up a second round pick for Sanu previously mm. who then basically didn't play for them? Second rounder seems nothing to me for, 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 for a talent like Julio, but I suppose, and obviously look, Tennessee are in a specific window. They've got Derek Henry and... You know, we'll, we'll get into all that in the thing. It's just it was an interesting to see what the value of some of these players were on them. I believe New Hopkins has kind of commented on it since being like, you know, I'd take me or Julio rather than random second rounder next year any day. Denver fixed their quarterback position. <laughs> <laughs> They've traded a sixth round pick for quarterback Teddy Bridgewater from Carolina. Carolina are also going to pay the majority of his wages. Obviously, Carolina had picked up Sam Darnold in a trade earlier from the Jets and a plan to move on to him. Teddy Bridgewater experience was kind of what I expected out of it last year. Boring and mediocre at best. Uh, Denver deciding that that's where they like to go with their quarterbacks. are going to have him versus Drew Locke for the upcoming season. They had the opportunity to trade up to try and draft a champ and there was also rumours of other people being up on the trade market but Teddy Bridgewater the decision is does this do anything for anybody it doesn't do anything for me I don't expect Teddy Bridgewater no. to beat out Drew Locke and I don't expect either of them to be overly watchable it's the world's most pathetic QB uh, controversy he's the definition of mediocrity Teddy Bridgewater and the fact that he'd be better than Drew Locke only says more about Drew Locke they, they might pick up an extra few wins but yeah this is this is given what they could have done. They could have been aggressive. They could have drafted. They could have tried to get one of the, the big names out there. This felt like they felt like they had to do something. So they went and got someone that would be not a disaster. But uh, all they've really done is perpetuate uh, their mediocrity into another year. Yeah, not exactly the, the most inspiring. But obviously, I like having that in the division. I hope they sit with Teddy Bridgewater and these rumors surrounding Aaron Rodgers uh, don't come to fruition. Kansas City decided to continue their uh, plan this offseason of just building a wall in front of Patrick Mahomes. They traded their first round pick, a third and a fourth for Orlando Brown and a second and a sixth back from Baltimore. Orlando Brown obviously been, I think, Pro Bowl two or three times now very very good high end tackle said he wanted to continue playing left tackle but as the Ravens have already got someone else who will be playing that position he would be swung to right tackle didn't particularly want to do that it's an interesting one there's a lot of talk at the time about whether or not the Ravens should be trading quality player like this to an in-conference rival Kansas City but uh, look it's a trade that worked out for both ends because the Chiefs first was going to be spent on a tackle anyway. The third is basically pushed because if they don't sign him to a longer term deal, they'll get one back anyway in, in compensation picks. Like it's And then for Baltimore, who are in a very specific window, they get the extra first round pick, they get the third round pick. They kind of push some picks into this year from next year, uh, essentially, which is, uh, which is quite nice. I think it works out well for both sides. I'm very happy to have him in KC and I'm sure Ravens got as much value as they probably could have for him there like overall I look at it as quite a balanced trade but maybe because my team's involved that I don't see it that clearly this trade made sense for both sides I think Orlando Brown was very strong in his belief that he wanted to continue to play left tackle and the Ravens have Ronnie Stanley and they're already paying him a lot of money so they obviously couldn't facilitate that and this is basically the second time the KC have picked up a, a pretty good veteran decent terms because 
there's basically some disagreement between the team and 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 the player. I think Jaron Reed from the Seahawks is the other example. You know, given that they lost Eric Fisher, who's obviously now washed up into Indianapolis, um, but he probably wasn't going to play the entire season anyway. I think it's something they needed to do. Obviously, they're a bit scarred from the Super Bowl experience of getting uh, Patrick Mahomes absolutely melted by that uh, Tampa Bay defensive line. And for Baltimore, look, they got pretty good value for them. I think they got a wide receiver out of this, and yeah, KC. I think Casey Hans are probably a little bit happier out of this, but uh, they will have to pay him a lot of money. And for a team that obviously is already paying Mahomes money and Kelsey money and Hill money, I'm sure there'll be some sacrifices made in the depths uh, continuing to happen in KC uh, to, to facilitate people like Brown coming in. I think Casey also traded for Mike Hughes, but that's a, a fairly minor thing. And Baltimore, um, they signed Alejandro Villanueva, the previous tackle from, from Pittsburgh, to an OK contract. So they're obviously hoping that that veteran can fill the gap that left by a Brown after this uh, trade. Yeah, sorry, it's interesting, just whenever I'm looking at it on the paper here, I've forgotten that we picked up Mike Hughes from Minnesota, because uh, I think Brashad Breland has now signed with Minnesota, so they've signed our old cornerback, and we've taken this guy in for depth instead. Ah, anyway, uh, Indianapolis, as you mentioned, Eric Fisher's gone to Indianapolis, Villanueva's gone to Baltimore, and uh, Tim Tebow has decided he's going to play tight end, and he's gone down to Jacksonville to maybe play that. Uh, <laughs> Detroit have extended their centre, Frank Ragnow, four years, 54 million. Miami have extended linebacker Jerome Baker three years at uh, 39 million. There's obviously loads of transactions, but realistically, because we're going to be doing the previews, we're going to roll most of them into the preview. So uh, we'll just have a quick look at other bits of news from around the league. Crime and punishment, what are they doing? It's uh, probably felonies this time, not. Uh, just just Green Bay tight end Jay Sternberger. He's out for two games, substance abuse policy. I'm surprised, to be honest, so far we're this deep in the offseason we're going to have too much more. But I suppose it's, it is the quiet season now. This is probably when most of the uh, the reporters are on holiday. Controversy corner was a bit interesting the last month or two. Uh, the big story is obviously Juwan James uh, has a $15 million claim against Denver, signing collusion between the NFL and Denver. So he was signed to Denver. He had $10 million, I believe, in pay guaranteed for this year yeah. he was injured while working off-site training off-site the, the nfl is stating that because it wasn't on team facilities that it was a non-footballing injury and therefore voids guarantees this is controversial in two ways one because james said he's using a denver approved workout scheme and that you know that they shared some of the coaches or some of the staff or something so he was essentially doing his work he was just doing it himself and then also there was a couple of bits with the player association and tom brady in particular trying to advocate for people not to train in facilities but obviously that's fine if you've you know got all the money he has whereas like if this is what happens when you train off-site then it's a it's a bit of a problem so obviously he was off-site he wasn't at work but he was doing work so particularly during the pandemic like it would be the equivalent of us maybe getting injured while working from home and then the work saying well look you weren't in the office. I'm like, yeah, but I was only in that situation because I was working. It's a bit of a mess. I'm surprised that Denver didn't just pay this. Well, they're they're very unhappy with James because obviously he's only played, I think, like six games after they signed him to a big contract. He opted out last year. And obviously that 15 million kind of includes the kind of back pay from, from the opt-out, just the way that that was dealt with by the NFL. And really this is part, as you mentioned, of a, of a wider war between the NFL and the NFLPA. The NFLPA does not want to go back to the old off-season workout with the OTAs and the mandatory mini camps and all that kind of stuff. I think, in their opinion, players should be allowed, veterans should be allowed to stay at home, do whatever they want, and then they show up for training camp, and that's it. So they sent out an official, I suppose, for lack of a better term, position paper saying we ask players not to attend OTAs, and there was a lot of initial compliance with that in the early stages of the OTA program. But then this happens: Juwan James injures himself and the NFL in Denver agreed that that's a non-football injury because he was doing his own training whatever like that and thus he was released and his guarantees which were substantial up to 15 million uh, as he's claiming uh, were voided so obviously given you know people like Tom Brady obviously have a, have a vested interest there because they love taking all their wide receivers and proving how much they love the wide receivers by you know having these off-season workouts and now you know, if a wide receiver like Mike Evans or Chris Godwin got injured while doing one of those, the NFL's official position, even you know, that they might give some leeway because it's Tom Brady, um, is now that that can be classified as a non-football injury, which is a huge deal for these players. So, yeah, James obviously says that, you know, he did wasn't just working out randomly. He had a regimen 
given by the Denver coaching and like strength and conditioning team and that this is what they want him to do. So he's saying, well, this is obviously part of the offseason. I just wasn't doing it in the team facilities, um, which were available because of America and COVID. But I was doing basically that at home. And so, yeah, it's a really big kind of deal in terms of the whole COVID situation and the overall future of the offseason based on what's happened last year. But uh, for Juwan James, obviously the main thing is just to try and get this 15 million back. He's in the interim, he signed a two-year 8 million contract with Baltimore. So I think that's mostly an option really for the next season. He probably not expected to play much this season because mm-hmm. of his injury. But yeah, really big, like a kind of shadow boxing, kind of uh, shadow war going on between the NFL and the NFLPA here. Uh, through the basically through this front of Juwan James's injury uh, offside. Another Denver injury, this one unfortunate as well. Uh, free agent wide receiver Deshaun Hamilton has torn his ACLs out for the season. He was released by Denver. They were looking to trade him anyway. This unfortunate because yeah. I believe they thought they had a trade partner. Other bits from around the league, just a few bits of clean up. Adam Vinatieri, kicker, has uh, retired after 24 seasons. Probably a Hall of Fame career. Uh, New England and Indianapolis, so he has four Super Bowl wins. He had some famous kicks particularly early on i think he had one where was it the champion championship game or divisional game for new england where he had already missed three or four the that game. game i believe right yeah yeah the raiders game yeah afc championship as kickers go i'd imagine he's probably going to be in the points leader at the nfl like you have to put the <laughs> in the Super Bowl. there's that entire question of the you know you know the the can you tell the story of the nfl without them you're like well yes they're a kicker well uh, vinatieri is an no. exception like look Sean, yeah. like, come on. Like, Vinatieri was so important to those. Yeah, I mean, if, if Vinatieri doesn't make those kicks, I mean, he kicks the, them to win their first two Super Bowls. He basically is behind Belichick, Brady, and Robert Kraft, probably the, the fourth most important person in Patriots history in terms of creating uh, what happened. Yeah, iconic moments, 24 years of being, you know, a very, very good kicker in itself should be enough. But also the fact that, yeah, he is. It is if... Could you tell the, the story of the NFL without him? Without him, there may not have been a Patriots dynasty, or certainly it may not have been as, as so it's his fault as quickly as it did. <laughs> <laughs> and certainly, the early Super Bowl wins were very much that first season where they, where Brady wasn't actually any good, and it was all def- defensively led. Benjamin made some really important kicks at very important times and got them over the line. Um, and without that, the dynasty may not have, have gotten going. Because the the true Bledsoe thing, they could have gone back to him, and Brady could have been benched, and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I do think it's a it's a sliding doors moment if Finitary doesn't make that kick. Yeah. No, uh, very good career, obviously 24 seasons. Another long career finished up, quarterback Jonathan Joseph has retired after 15 years. He was a first rounder with a good start in Cincinnati before moving on to Houston where he had a number of kind of uh, Pro Bowl level seasons. Uh, I think 32 interceptions in career, overall very well regarded. Another one who'd probably be in consideration down the road. Yeah, like he's just one of these like really professional people who had, you know, the top of their career probably never reached that Hall of Fame level, but you know, was always a was always a positive uh, force for whatever team he was on with Cincinnati and Houston. Um, and obviously, the longevity is uh, impressive for a position where physical traits tend to be uh, very important. We had some rule changes, very exciting rule changes. Jersey <laughs> numbers have changed. To be honest, for the average watcher, this will probably just be, you'll be a bit confused for the first game or two when you're back. So it means wide receivers and linebackers and everything can now wear a much wider array of numbers. A number of players have now changed their number, although it was an unfortunate rule that if they wanted to change their number this season, they could buy the entire stock of their jersey out that was already made which uh, was a bit of a mess. Tom Brady is not a fan of this at all. He was posting a lot online about how it was ridiculous. He'll have to change the way he uses cadence for, like, identifying protections, because if he goes to go, like, he used to say, like, you know, look out, like, you know, 64, so he's the mic, and then all of a sudden it's like, it's number three, look out for number three. It will look a little bit like pass rushers who are wearing single digits are just very large quarterbacks tackling other quarterbacks. I think this will actually cause some chaos in the first few weeks. Maybe in, just in preseason, they might get used to it in regular season. Players are used to making split-second decisions where they're not really thinking about what they're doing, and a lot of that will be based upon numbers, right? Being able to see which number you want to aim for or whatever. I think changing numbers for certain positions could, maybe not for the, the, the very best, but certainly for like me- mediocre quarterbacks or whatever, could cause a bit of uh, chaos um, I think there will be an adjustment here. I certainly don't think it's going to be something that doesn't have an impact. Um, I think there'll be a few weeks of adjusting 
and before players uh, adapt to the new scenario. And I think it will make it more difficult, especially to kind of say the Brady type offense, which is based upon kind of very quick, don't think about it passing. The more the more thinking you force players to make, the more errors they will do. So I, I think it is likely to have some errors in the early weeks um, of the season. Probably evens it up for someone like Jameis Winston, who I assume never saw the numbers. <laughs> Uh, replay officials can now also give objective information when they are looking at it. So presumably this is just moving us slowly closer towards the rugby style can say, yes, they did or didn't do X or Y. But again, this is going to be kind of, we'll see how it works in, in practical terms because we've, we've seen previously the referees get decisions made down that they then just don't really apply or apply weirdly there'll also be no overtime in the preseason and stricter low blocking rules put in place our nfl mock draft results came in i came last it was a good run i had for the last two or three years 13 points i did very poorly uh sean <laughs> tied with the consensus pick at 20 points i am average and Rodid came out miles on top, 26 points, twice the points I managed to gather in this. Uh, well done, Rodin. You are, are the best at pretending to understand how college works. I got the first five picks right and basically nothing else. So <laughs> that, will, that, will, that will normally do it. I, I understood that the Bengals don't care about protecting Joe Burrow. Yeah, yeah. I was, that was a big surprise for me. And I suppose the only other news that's kind of relevant too, because a lot of our listeners are Irish and uh, UK. New York Jets at Atlanta and Miami at Jacksonville have been confirmed as the London Games are going to be on uh, back-to-back weekends in late October. Uh, tickets will be on sale uh, in the coming weeks, as we understand that they haven't gone up for sale yet. Obviously, there will be questions as to what the level of attendance will be allowed, what the rules, whether there'll be PCR tests and all that stuff. It's interesting. I was saying to you guys that this feels a little bit like the potential faces of tomorrow outside of Atlanta, obviously, because you know, well, apart from they've got the young tight end, but like the Jets have... Zach Wilson, Miami, Tua, and Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence, as well as relatively young surrounding rosters and a number of kind of new coaches, Urban Meyer and uh, Robert Sala and all that kind of stuff. So it's a, it, it's an interesting one. They might be well-matched games, but, you know, I suppose we'll see what what our predictions are. Uh, any of them particularly jump out at you? You're all a little bit meh about it, or is it just, like, I know for me, I'm kind of looking at going, God, just the prospect of going to a live event sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean the Dolphins Jags could be good. It's it's the the thing is it could be. There's nothing guaranteed. Me this will be a good game or this will be interesting. These both could be good games or they both equally could be derp fests. So, yeah. yeah. Um, buying a ticket i don't know if i'm going to go that far yeah i think i'm going to keep an eye on it and see uh when they come out with the price are and then if they sell out because it's also they have that weird like hat was it season tickets the last mm. time around get preference on purchasing or something so like yeah the, i think the big one would be to just keep an eye out of like if they're not looking like they're great games apparently some of them you're able to pick up on like resale sites for about seven dollars the day before the game there are a lot of dolphins fans in Britain yeah. because of historical stuff so that game will probably be sold out regardless the other one you never know I, I can't imagine too many people will go out of the way to watch mm. the Jets Falcons who knows like that, that, there's been many a game in London that was sold out or close to it that I thought you wouldn't find a hundred people that wanted to see this <laughs> true, let alone 50,000 but sure who knows who knows yeah we'll, we'll, we'll fill in more details as we come closer to it and with that I suppose we'll move over and we'll take our preview of the AFC East <laughs> Okay, so the AFC East, this is going to be interesting. We'll kick off with the Bills. Additions they've had in the offseason, they've added uh, on the D-line, Gregory Russo, Boogie Bashman, and Efe Obada. They've also brought in a couple of skill players, so like a couple of retready type ones here. So Emmanuel Sanders, Matt Breida, Jacob Hollister, and then their O-line, they're you know, trying to provide a bit more support. So Bobby Hart, Forrest Lamp, and Spencer Brown. They lost uh, John Brown, Andre Roberts, Tyler Croft, and TJ Yeldon off the skill positions on offense. They also lost Quinton Jefferson, EJ Gaines, Trent Murphy, Josh Norman off the defense, and Tynish Dickey, Brian Winters, Trey Adams, and Pat DeMarco off the offense. So that's three linemen and their fullback. Obviously, the Bills took a big jump last season. Josh Allen went from being kind of a large semi-fast man who couldn't throw a football well to actually being a pretty top-end 
quarterback for them. Their run game never quite got going. So, Sean, I suppose I'll come to you first on these guys. Do we expect continued kind of upwards trajectory from Allen uh, in year four, or do we think year three was a high point, or how, how do you expect to see the Bills in the upcoming season? Largely what we saw last season from the Bills was them making the, the kind of the, the statement step up to say that we are now an elite AFC team. We are one of the two or three best teams in this conference. We may not be quite at the Chiefs level, and I think they got found out quite badly uh, in the AFC uh, title game. But they've certainly staked their claim, and I think there's no reason to believe that they won't continue on that thread. There's no, there's no reason to say there's an obvious regression coming in here. Their quarterback is young, progressing. I, I can't imagine Allen will get any worse. I think the improvements he made were based upon things like maturity, uh, improved reading of situations, and just generally making better decisions. And these are all things that we have to imagine he will continue um, to do so. I think he's over the hump. I think he's gotten past his... Uh, is kind of the, the the rookie shakes, as it were, and, and now he's he's trying to establish himself as elite status, and he's proven himself to be a leader of this team. That the team is willing to rally around his leadership, and they see him as, as the guy that the, the franchise is being built around. So certainly, I think Allen is going to progress onwards. The, the passing game, I think, is, is going to be of a high standard. They lost John Brown, yes, but they still have Stephon Diggs. I think there's still there's still a lot of good stuff happening there. I'm a little bit worried that they haven't really done much with the run game. It wasn't huge last season. It wasn't a very big part of their game. But you would think that they would want to diversify as much as possible. The Chiefs, for example, have made, made great strides out of giving themselves a run game option. That means that teams have now got one more thing to worry about. With the Bills, you do feel somehow that they're, if you can figure out how to stop the passing game and if you can figure out how to restrict Allen, they don't really have an awful lot else going on. So their, their run game is, is it's, looks like, again, they're going to be going for kind of solid, unspectacular run by committee. Moss and Singer and Terry being the stand, standout there, I don't think it's going to improve all that much from, from last year. I don't see Matt Breida making a big change. So I don't think they're going to make a, a big contribution to the load, and that could cost them in big games where they don't have a run game that can kind of get the tick the numbers over and keep them in games yeah. uh, where they want to be. Finally, then, in terms of the, the defense... I think they're just a very middling defense. I don't know if they've made any huge uh, improvements. They have drafted some interesting edge rushers. There, there is some improvement there. Russo looks like he could be a star, but he's a rookie, right? And, and even if on the line they take less time to, to get to their high points than skill positions, it's still going to be an adjustment. He's still going to be a rookie. There's still going to be time to, to, to build upon it. There's also not a tremendous amount of depth otherwise defensively. Look at cornerback, for example, where they have Tredavious White and then basically nobody else. Um, so I don't think they've made huge strides forward. So I can't see them, for example, getting up, up beyond the Chiefs or, or making the Super Bowl or winning the AFC. I think they'll have a harder job in, in retaining their divisional title because I think the Dolphins will have progressed um, another year into, into the Tua situation. The, the Pats obviously are trying to make a run back to things. So I think it'll be tougher. I still think they'll win the division. I still think they'll make the AFC Championship game. I think they'll still be at the level they were last year, but I can't see them moving much beyond that because I haven't, they haven't made the big acquisition or the big change that you, you think they would allow them to make that final step over over the, the massive chief-shaped hump that is standing in their way. Yeah, because there was, there was rumours during the rounds that they were in and kind of sniffing around that Julio Jones trade and things like that, that like maybe they needed that extra kind of superstar to bring them over the top. As you said, they're kind of lacking a little bit at the running back. But Fitz, like this is, like McDermott is meant to be known for, as Sean says, having fearsome defenses, but that hasn't really materialized here. Do you think this retooling of the of the of the defensive line, the two rookies, and and Effie Obad, is he the is he the chap the chap from London? Yeah, I think he's one of the uh, foreign uh, the international players program that, players. Yeah, yeah. See, um, do you think like bringing them in are gonna are gonna help move that? Like that, I think that's the big question for McDermott because like I think there's just kind of two macro things to be. That kind of explain like firstly to explain why they've had a relatively quiet off season. I think obviously Josh Allen is either if not next in line, very near to next in line for the big payday contract. And obviously you don't want to get in too much cap trouble um, with that upcoming. And we see a few other teams like say the Browns at the moment who are basically you kind of see they're in a bit of a holding pattern. But the other I think big thing for this team is that obviously these aren't your plucky bills anymore. Like they obviously took last season, they established that they were the kings of the AFC East, but now the expectations are on them that they should 
win this division again. This isn't like when they like snuck into a wild card with Tyrod Taylor. This is a team that has a quarterback who has some of the like has kind of the physical running skills of someone like Cam Newton, but with you know accuracy percentages last season equivalent to someone like Deshaun Watson. So this is someone in Josh Allen who should, in theory, based on the stats and what he does, be a elite quarterback, a Patrick Mahomes type quarterback who can carry his team. And given that the team overall is talented, there's no reason why he can't even take maybe an extra step in terms of even improving his like decision-making a little bit more. I think his mechanics are what really put him over the top last year. He just got a lot more accurate, and that was a huge step forward for him. But I think maybe there's still a little bit of work to do in terms of like his terms of reading the game um, and not relying on his physical skills so much. But I think for McDermott, like the big challenge is that he's a defensive coach. He obviously got the job because of the great job he did out in Carolina as a defensive coordinator. But the defense last year was so-so. It wasn't a bad defense, but it wasn't a great defense. But when you look at the talent on the defense, there is you know reason to believe that this should be a good defense. Like They don't need Greg Rousseau to be good in first year because they have Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison there. They're both good Ed Rushers. They have Ed Oliver, who they picked high last year. They have Matt Milano, Tremaine Edmonds um, in their linebackers. And they have you know one of the best safety uh, duos in the league with Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. Now their cornerback room is a bit, a bit soft. There's no denying that. But you know, with McDermott being such a highly touted coach and being someone who's obviously done a great job turning this team around, I think if they're going to make that next step with Allen kind of having reached that next plane where the like the room for improvement isn't really that much, the big question is that this defense needs to step up and become an elite unit again. If these team, if you know, if they're going to have a realistic chance to knock off the Chiefs, which is really the big kind of white whale that they now face now that they're not the plucky Bills anymore, they're now an AFC Super Bowl contender. Of course, so we've kind of gone mostly in the same kind of range here for our expectations. We have them kind of ranging between 12 and 14 wins, and obviously all making the all making the playoffs. I have them going out in the wild card. Ronan and Sean, you have them making the. AFC Championship game and getting knocked out at that point and Harry you have them getting to the divisional round and losing there so we clearly do all view them as a contender type team and right up there and as you say once you're in the playoffs or anything can happen but yeah there is just one or two positions maybe a little lack of firepower there that might hold them back next up we'll look at the Dolphins I suppose so this is a team that was obviously somewhat in transition last year they picked up Tua they didn't start it from the outset they benched him once or twice uh, but now they've decided to say goodbye to Ryan Fitzpatrick and the offensive coordinator Chan Gailey and say right this is now Tua's machine they added uh, some weapons for him so they drafted Jalen Waddle added Will Fuller Malcolm Brown Chen Carter on the offense defensive side also there's a lot of churn happening so uh, they added Jalen Phillips, Javon Holland, Bernadrick McKinney, Adam Butler, Justin Coleman, Jason McCourty. Like, yeah, there's just a lot of turnover here. And then offensive line, they've uh, they've added to Liam Eikenberg, Matsuka and DJ Fluker. Obviously, I mentioned they got rid of Ryan Fitz and uh, Chan Gailey. They also got rid of Ted Caracas, Isaiah Wilson, Eric Flowers, Julian Davenport on the offensive side. And on defensive side, Devon Godshaw, Kyle Van Noy on that, I believe it basically only lasted one year on that rental Shaq Lawson and Bobby McCain yeah so I know I'll take this one at least initially because I know that I am somewhat in the minority on uh, my opinion on this team is this team better without Ronan Fitzpatrick Ryan Fitzpatrick I don't know if it is to be honest could use some Ronan Fitzpatrick could use some Ronan Fitzpatrick in there they need to get a stats guy no basically like when I look at the performance last year, Tua wasn't overly impressive. And all I've heard in the offseason is the same tired old cliches of, oh, the game has really slowed down for him. He looks more powerful. He looks more relaxed in the system. I'm not sure if that's true. I want to see something that'll actually show me that he's gotten better. I'm not sure adding the likes of Jalen Waddle and Will Fuller are going to do it. One Will Fuller when he's not on PEDs probably doesn't last more than four games without going out for four games. And Jalen Waddle is a good deep threat. But, like... That wasn't the type of game that they were playing last year and not the type of game Fitz was playing last year. It's, it's interesting that they're kind of moving around the roster and the coaching quite a lot and maybe that will help them. But normally these things take at least a year to bed in properly. Yeah, like I see I see a crew that have an idea in their head but aren't sure if they've got the pieces for it and are just trying to keep treading. It reminds me a little bit of the Raiders head coach John Gruden a little bit where like you can see he has an idea in his head of what he wants and then it just keeps just 
bringing in players going look if i just eventually bring in enough players i'll find the right people for it but like you've got a large amount of movement on the offensive line so he's gonna have to get used to that you've got a big change in the skilled players he's lost the offensive coordinator he was working under last year so he's gonna have to be learning a new system he didn't actually look that strong in the system last year and he didn't get that much experience that he's going to the second year without a full year under his belt of like getting used to nfl speed getting used to nfl defensive looks and things like that like everyone is talking and we'll, we'll get to what the predictions and stuff for them but everyone is talking about this team is that this is these guys are shooting for the moon this is going to be amazing and i'd be happy if it was but I mean, at the moment I, I i can't see them getting past six or seven wins like does tua what about tua makes any of you go yes this is now a this is now a wild card contender well, look, I, I don't have the I don't myself have the Dolphins making the playoffs. I think the Dolphins are fine, and I think the thing is, it's not like oh, we we suddenly think Tua is going to be amazing, or in my case anyway, because you know, as you say, we see no evidence of that. But the other thing is, is that like, look, you have to remember, there's a huge amount of expectation on rookie quarterbacks and young quarterbacks to perform very, very quickly, and you have to remember, there's a number of people in the league who've succeeded from coming through slower development and not being very good for the first year. So I'm uncomfortable writing somebody off, and I. Do, Tua is one of the few players I actually did watch a little bit of in college, and the guy has talent. You have to remember last year as well, he was coming off a devastating injury he suffered at the end of his, his college career, so that's going to impact him. And one of the things you pointed out, which you know I think is slightly contradictory, saying, well, he's going to have to learn a new system, but the system with the old OC wasn't working very well either, and that's it exactly. The, he clearly wasn't working in Changeli's system. So... You know, let's see, I'm not going to write him off by on how he performed it in one person's system on how he performs under another person's system. This team does have a lot of offensive weapons. I think it is useful. I don't necessarily agree that they are not well suited to the type the type of football that Tua plays. While Will Fuller, for example, and yes, PED's point taken, is primarily known as a deep threat. He actually did a lot of work in shorter areas for the Texans, and you'd saw, you saw games last season where he would be getting a whole load of targets in all kind of areas of the field. He's not just the deep threat guy, although those are the ones that make the highlight reel. So yeah, I, I think the Dolphins are going to be fine. Um, I don't think they're going to be earth-shattering, but I'm not writing them off. I think that you have them kind of slightly below average. I'd say they're going to be slightly above average, but I think there's a lot of unknowns here and a lot of players with a lot of upside, and I'm not willing to just say, well, we've seen enough from Tua now on really like half a season or so of evidence to, to write it off entirely, because I think that guy's got talent. Now, if you, we don't see him kick on early on, yes, the alarm bells will start ringing, but I think it's too early to start making a call of saying this is a busted flush already. Oh, yeah, like I wasn't trying to say that he's gone, but it's more the idea of that now we've gotten rid of the distractions, we've gotten rid of Ryan Fitzpatrick, we've changed the coordinator and we've brought in a load of weapons now he'll be flying like i think i think a seven win season is perfectly fine for them and would show development if he's showing good decision making on the field and stuff i've seen predictions not necessarily here but also elsewhere of like oh this team is a sneaky contender and i don't see that level of of performance coming out of them it's an interesting team and i think like you know there's a lot of talk about tua but to me the most interesting team about thing about this team is the head coach brian flores because you know, we're year three into the rebuild, and obviously they came from an incredibly low base. They basically stripped that team for parts when, when Brian Flores came in. But he seems to have an incredible amount of power within that team, like almost Bill Belichick in terms of his ability to basically set the agenda for that team. And he's incredibly well-spoken. He seems like a great coach. You know, there's, there's had to be a little bit concerns that it's year three and they're still making these very aggressive moves. These very, you know, he basically doesn't seem to have any patience for anyone who doesn't perform like Chan Gailey was there for a year and he's already gone and obviously he's obviously presumably because he didn't believe that he was going to bring two along he wasn't able to bring two along in his system and now they have a joint offensive coordinator situation between uh, George Godsey and Eric Studsville that's a rather unusual type of setup to have like like I don't know, maybe offensive coordinators, if they like coordinate for lack of a better term, that they could be better. But you know, in general, are we that is the you know my view might be that you know it's similar as having two starting quarterbacks. It basically means you have no starting quarterback, and it just creates more confusion within within the overall organization. So you know, like I think they took a lot of big swings here. They obviously you know chose to take the wide receiver Jalen Waddle after trading up with the Eagles to get the number six. They brought in Will Fuller, who'll be missing I think the first game of the season. And then on the defense, they're doing a huge 
huge num- like a huge night of churn again and expecting rookies like Jalen Phillips and Javon Holland to be immediate starters. Like they cut Bobby McCain, a fairly solid safety for them last year, and they're saying, hey, you Javon Holland rookie, you're going straight into the starting lineup basically. Uh, and they bring in some like veterans like Justin Coleman, Jason McCordy for 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 competition, but it's still a very aggressive set of moves. And I think you know when you're in year three in the modern NFL expectations are going to rise and because he's seen as a good coach expectations are high because of that as well so you know i i have been making the wild card uh, as, as a situation but i think if they had a bad season like you're saying connor like they get like seven six wins i do think the questions will come in pretty thick and fast and brian flores because he has become the central figure because everything seems to revolve around him in terms of the organization you know the pressure will start coming on him to prove that he is not just someone who can take a completely broken system and build something you know somewhat viable out of that and when you see what they did at the end of last season where they basically collapsed their playoff hunt those questions are starting in my opinion a little bit um so this is a really important year to establish whether uh, the head coach is really who we think he is in terms of being you know one of the better people in the league yeah like i said so we've kind of got none of us are gone too wild on either extreme but uh so i'm the bottom of the estimations here with them going six and eleven number ten in the afc we have two nine and one six in there so we've got a nine wins ten wins and you've got them at ten wins as well ronan you've got them making the wild card so like like i basically think that none of us think that they're wildly like i wouldn't expect them to be a collapse season but also wouldn't expect them to be a sneaky contender either i don't think you know if they make the playoffs that'll be fine it's the next step in the progress but if they don't make the playoffs after what happened last season some people will have to start asking questions no of course next up is the jets so they've added robert sala from san francisco is now the head coach uh, michael floor is taking over offensive coordinator and they drafted their quarterback of the future in zach wilson at two overall they also added in Corey davis elijah moore Olivier tucker michael carter tevin coleman keelan cole on the fifth side carl lawson vinnie curry sheldon rankins marcus joiner and jared davis on the outs and let's focus a little bit on the outs as well got rid of adam gase they traded away sam darnold on the offensive side, they got rid of Pat Elfin, Brashad Perryman, Frank Gore, Josh Andrews on the defense side, uh, Brian Poole, Henry Anderson, Jordan Jenkins, Patrick Onawuzar, and Terrell Basham. Obviously, this is a team that is at a crossroads, but starting fresh. New head coach, new quarterback, new hopes. But there is a lot of questions on how good was that roster beforehand, how much of it is on the previous staff, what could be possible. So, like, Ronan, we'll come to you on the Jets. What do you think the ceiling for Zach Wilson is in year one, and what do you think Salah can do with this team? I think there's, like, two ceilings, really, for Zach Wilson. and Because I think there's two criteria. Like, one is... Uh, being effective winning games and I think that is obviously important I think if this is a team that went like you know had only a handful of wins questions will be asked straight up that just happens in the NFL but I think the other thing is that they want to see him be promising I think they want to see him be fun um, his reputation coming out of college is someone who is a playmaker he's got a really good arm he can run he makes a lot of spectacular plays he's not afraid to throw it up into contested coverage and at BYU he was just someone who really energized the team in last season after coming off an injury at the season in 2019 at the college level and which had kind of reduced his draft stock so this is someone who's coming off a high point in their college career and who has a fun play style um so i think if he is at least fun to watch similar to how joe burrow was last year like if he's kind of you can see that he controls the offense it's his offense and he's having you know making it an exciting team to watch after what we saw with adam gates i think jets fans will be mostly happy with that as long as they can get up to that kind of lower end of mediocre that kind of six five to seven wins say range i think obviously they bring in robert salah and obviously they're going to expect him to do a lot of work on that defense because the talent of the defense is basically not there they're starting like guys like bryce hall and bless austin as their starting cornerbacks um so obviously that that's not a great situation to be like beyond quinn williams and hopefully carl lawson who they signed as a free agent there's just not a lot of talent there like cj mosley maybe could come back but i think most rumors are that they're looking to trade him so i think on the offense Zach Wilson will have a lot of pressure on him because they've done a lot of churn there. Like the offensive line is is mostly um, the same, but all the skill players are basically completely overhauled. So, and I think you know there is already 
camp reports that Elijah Moore, the rookie wide receiver, is you know tearing up camp. People are very excited, and that probably is part of the reason why they kind of forced Jameson Crowder to take a contract restructure recently. And Michael Carter, the young running back, is very highly touted as a kind of like a, an all-in-one type of like tree down back. He's a bit undersized, but he can be. He's in a he's a great pass catcher, and obviously in the zone scheme, like the, the zone scheme that Mike Lafleur is bringing uh, from the Shanahan tree, like if that works then you get these really big holes and it's all about whether they can do the single cut and then just go for you know go for the home run um, and I think you know Michael Carter is someone to keep an eye on if you're interested in, in, in kind of some of these younger players breaking through and you know Corey Davis was at a one-year wonder with Tennessee but we'll see on that um, so I think you know look overall they're doing a lot of change they're doing a lot of stuff and I think whether this season is a success or not because if they make the playoffs that'll be an incredible success but I think well, more realistically, if they end up in that kind of like missing out in the playoffs, success will be judged whether Zach Wilson looked to be making progress and was fun, like made the team fun to watch again, and whether Salah can make a defense which is very talent poor, at least like middle of the pack, lower middle of the pack. But given what those expectations are, obviously I'm not really expecting them to make a huge splash, but you know, the, the division which has a few teams that are definitely better. But you know, I think. For the Jets, given what they saw in the random gates, I think they're they're pretty desperate to just see anything that will give them any hope. Um, so at least the uh, expectations should be pretty low from that fan base. I think it is interesting that they put so much into the offense in this offseason, particularly given Salah's coming in as a defensive coach previously, that they brought in the floor and he just said, okay, let's bring in Davis Piero. WR1, let's bring in more to, to, to help them out. Let's draft some O-line as well. Let's pick up a young running back that he kind of has gone get the get the offensive side a load of toys to make sure that Wilson has stuff to do with it because obviously it's been a bit chronic for the last few years watching the Jets <laughs> offense. And then Salah's kind of like, right, give me Lawson and Curry and whatever, the, whatever else is left on this roster and I'll whip that into shape. So they very much do seem to be we are we'll, we'll invest heavily around what we see as being you know an understaffed offense and we'll rely on the head coach to try and work on the defense uh, i'm not sure if, if that approach will work or not but i do think it's interesting given how bad under gase they were at bringing in like weapons and uh, trying to build stuff around them that that's the way they're going Look, it wasn't their fault. They were playing under Adam Gase. That's just like, you know, like a minus 20% debuff, to put in D&D terms, against all of your offensive skill position players, except for your slot receiver. I'm sad to see Frank Gore gone. I know he's, he's, he's still looking at the possibility of joining a team, uh, probably a late August edition, I would imagine. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to see, because like, even when you look at that list of players who, who left, there's not a lot there that you'd be picking through, is there? No, <laughs> it was a bad team, Connor. <laughs> it was also a bad team. Adam Gase is bad and probably one of the worst head coaches in recent years, but uh, it was also a poor, poor, poor roster. No. So we this this we have quite a wide array on uh, on possible outcomes. Nothing's nothing's flaring too positively. I've got them going nine and eight and sneaking into the seventh seed and then getting knocked out in the wild card. And then from that point downwards, we have six wins, five wins, and two wins. We're basically not expecting a ton from. Them. But this is the thing. It's 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 like we were saying in the news section. It's it's looking at games like Jets at Atlanta and being that like oh do you know what that could be that could possibly be good if everything lands right for them and these these rookies start to work that could be an entertaining game which is definitely not something we would have been saying two years ago so yeah it, it is interesting slightly different metrics for success there even with the pressure of it being New York okay on to the on to the big one we got two fans of the Patriots on here at the moment so I'm sure we'll have a lot to hear about this Patriots obviously added in Mac Jones then they added Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith trying to recreate create the old two tight end sets again and uh, Nelson Aguilar has uh, somehow talked that year of performance in well, it was Vegas wasn't it uh, into, yeah. into a big contract they've added Drank Brown back as well from there uh, Kendrick Bourne and Ted Carassis then on the defense they added Judon Dante Hightower is coming back from COVID Kyle Vannoy uh, Christian Barrymore Davon Goodshow and Jalen Mills. They lost Edelman, Burkhead, Demir Bird, Ryan Izzo, Joe Tooney, Marcus Cannon, Jermaine Emu. Oh, Jesus. Elu Emufor? Is that right? <laughs> Looks like something from uh, Lord of the Rings. It does. Ule Munor? 
Illuminor. Illuminor. <laughs> they also lost Adam Butler, Bo Allen, Jason McCourty, John Simmons, Terence Brooks, and Dietrich Weiss. Um, that might seem like an awful lot of defensive players to lose, but they also had quite a number of defensive players opting out last year, so they have a couple of returning people to come on to this. So I suppose, Harry, you haven't had you on a bit. We'll come to you first on this. Obviously, Patriots, transition period since Tom's left. They didn't really get up to much last year, and Cam Newton really wasn't looking up to all that much. They've added Mac Jones, although at the moment it definitely appears that they are keeping him in reserve and planning to start Cam for the season. Do you think that will be the case throughout, and what... Do you kind of think about this, maybe defense in particular, given the amount of changes that are going to be coming in versus last year? On, on the quarterback thing, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to make a call on that at this stage because it really depends on whether or not Cam Newton looks better than he did last season. Like, if you're getting benched for Jared Stidham, you're probably going to get benched for Mac Jones at some point if you continue to play like that. Also, Jared Stidham seems to want to remind everyone that he still exists. Don't know why, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not super. I, I like it, it's going to come. <laughs> it was weird. I saw this thing. It's like, hey, I'm Jared Stidham. I'm still in the Patriots. It's like you're only there because they forgot you're there. Don't don't draw attention to it. Like Jones is interesting. Like he's very much one of those like. Like college talents that you really have it's really tough to tell how he's going to pan out in the NFL like there's so many ways he has a lot of like attributes that you want but he also has a lot of attributes that are like serious red flags um, around certain sides of his game particularly on the mental side but if Newton can't if Cam can't get his shit together basically I don't imagine it will be a tremendously long time before they, they wheel out the rookie because look if it's going to be another lost or rebuilding season anyway you might as well see what you've got and give him a chance. I also I think on the defensive side of the ball, I'm actually not that worried about all the players leaving. I mean, if you look at the players who are leaving, it's fine for the most part. Like these yeah. are generally guys who are at the tail end of their career, uh, or who were sort of bit part players uh, who were coming in because, as you rightly mentioned, the Patriots had an awful lot of defensive players opt out. Uh, in the last season. So getting like Dante Hightower coming back is, is a huge deal. Kyle Van Noy uh, coming back uh, from well, from Miami after a one-year sabbatical um, <laughs> is great as well because he's much better on the Patriots than he was in Miami. So hopefully that's just the system and not a, a sign of a sign of age and wear and tear there. Whereas losing guys like, you know, like even the, like Jason McCordy and Adam Butler, like they're good contributors, but they're not like the guys you build your, they're not going to be the guys you build your defense around. So from that perspective, I'm not super worried about that. I think the defense has kept, the defensive backfield is, is it was was strong last season it's still strong they've kept the talent there you know uh, obviously Gilmore had some difficulties last year but he's still a top talent you've got your JC Jacksons and so on uh, knocking around there the one thing I am excited about very excited about and the reason I think that a lot of this the problems aren't going to matter because I think the big problem actually is that we don't have any wide receivers but who needs wide receivers the Baltimore Ravens have shown you can make the playoffs with precisely zero wide receivers and the corpse of Des Bryant so it's absolutely fine 12 personnel is back baby two tight ends it's going to be amazing for the first three weeks until Hunter Henry's leg falls off inevitably but I think that's a that's a huge and, and smart thing that they've done the Patriots struggled to push the ball downfield last season didn't have short options to counteract that because Nikhil Harry was terrible and all of our other wide receivers are terrible and okay Nelson Aguilar who knows how that's going to pan out field stretching but you've got guys like Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry are both uh, when they are healthy and playing well are both top tight ends if you can build your offense around that you can have a quick release kind of thing that works a if cam is still struggling with his mechanics because of the amount of uh, damage his body has taken over his career you're able to give him not one but two high-end sort of safety valves which is also then ideally you know is going to free up the receivers a bit but also then if you end up that cam is still broken and you need to play mac jones you've got two guys who he can rely on um, in the short field, and if you get him to play that smart, quick ball football that the Patriots want to play and are good at playing, you've got two massive targets there. So I think the answer, looping back to the very start, the answer to the quarterback controversy is it isn't really going to matter that much because what we've seen here is moves to put the quarterback in a position to succeed within the system the Patriots like to play. And the Patriots haven't really been able to, like, you know, Julian Edelman uh, covered a lot of the problems there because the Patriots have had huge problems at tight end over the last few years. And their system works really well when they're able to play 12 personnel. So I think that's going to make a huge difference. I'm not like super, oh, the Patriots are back, we're going to win everything, baby. But I think that there's a sign here that this can be a step forward. The personnel seem to be more suited to the style of football that we want to play. We're going to get a lot of talent back on that defense that I think is going to make a, a, a big difference. We kept a couple of players that I think like McCourty and, and Gilmore that people were worried were going to leave uh, due to cap reasons. So I think this is, from what I'm seeing here, this is a sign, obviously, you know, always trust in Belichick. But uh, I think this is a sign that we are going to move on the season and we're going to start seeing after one season of complete rebuild, a positive step from the team uh, to where it should be 
and that is competing. Yeah, I, I think it's important to say that, like, you know, they probably had a bottom five or like maybe a best bottom ten type roster last year when you looked at the top to bottom, and they still came close to being like five hundred. Like Bill Belichick, if the talent is there, like there's no one else you would trust to make it work on both sides of the ball. Obviously, in the offense, it's, it, Josh McDaniels is also important. So I think like the big question, like obviously the way Harry's talking, it's kind of a situation like if you put a mediocre quarterback, like the 16th best quarterback into this offense, where it's obvious that they're going to have a lot of two tight end sets, that's going to mean that the run game through Damian Harris or maybe Tony Michelle, if he can make a comeback, um, if that's running well, then that, that kind of just brings them back to the, the last Super Bowl that they won, where they weren't necessarily the prettiest offense to, to, to watch, but good defense and solid offense was enough to get them that Super Bowl ring and, and create one of the worst Super Bowls ever. So yeah, like I'm, I'm generally on the side of, of believing that they will still be solid, but I think if Cam Newton is truly busted and they kind of stick with him too much early on, there's a chance that, that they might, it might get away from them in a division in the AFC East, which isn't the complete tomato can uh, situation has been in, in many of the years, luckily for them in previous times. Like, it's weird to me just, and I'm going to ask Sean about this, that like, like I get what you're saying, how that like, you know, the two tight ends will make it a bit easier and the reliance on the run game will be good. Like, I, I presume that you have to build different offenses for Cam Newton and Mac Jones, massively so, or is it that there's so little trust in Newton at this point that they're basically going back to well we're going to treat you almost the same as a rookie your arm strength is gone you're not as fast as you used to be just tight end short passes and like distraction run game how I, I don't I'm not 100% sold that these are interchangeable if it's not working we can just go to Mac Jones and it'll be essentially the same offense yeah this is exactly my concern I'm concerned I am more optimistic about the Pats coming into the season that we're going into than last season. They're a better team. The, the personnel is, is, in terms of quality, is better, which is why I've, I've given them, in my prediction, 11 wins and a playoff berth. But there is a, a real uncertainty behind it because I don't quite see the full joined-up thinking of what's going on. And this quarterback issue with Cam and Mac Jones, to me, highlights... This, I don't know if they've actually thought this through or not, because they're two entirely different quarterbacks. And yeah, I take Harry's point that there is a way you can kind of build a system in which there isn't a huge amount of difference about what happens. But if you want to maximize talent and ability, then you are talking about two entirely different skill sets you're trying to build. I was I was a little bit excited when free agency started and they signed the two tight ends and then they re-signed Cam and there were rumors that they were going to draft Justin Fields, and I thought, this is interesting. They, It's it's the next evolution of Belichick, right? Belichick has always been one step ahead of the NFL curve. That is what has made him the coach that he is, that he's always doing, he's always thinking about where the game needs to go next. And I was thinking he somehow found a way to turn the two tight end set and evolve it into this era of, of mobile running quarterbacks, that there's suddenly this amazing new offense that he's got that he's planning is going to go ahead with it. And then they went and, and drafted Mac Jones, who for all intents and purposes is a Tom Brady clone. And I and I'm left thinking, is this a, is this a regression? Is this is this Bill going through his photo album and looking wistfully at the 2011-2012 Pats, the the two tight ends of Gronk and Hernandez and going, God, wasn't it great? Couldn't we have just given it one more chance? If only that bastard hadn't gone and been a mass murderer, we would have won multiple Super Bowls, and now I can recreate it. It feels like it's an attempt to retread ground that has already gone past, which feels very unpatriots in terms of what Belichick has done in the last 20 years. So I do hope I'm wrong, and, and I absolutely buy the, the point of trust Belichick. You, there's often been off-seasons where they've done strange things, and it's always come together because Belichick knows what he's doing. But this doesn't feel like a step forward. This feels like a step backwards into something more comfortable and solid. It feels, to, to use a soccer analogy, because I, I'm a big soccer fan, it, it feels a little bit of what happens when a big club falls on hard times and tries to recreate that magic by just buying loads of, of kind of big name talents and hoping they'd all stick together. Like it, it reminds me a little bit about, about uh, Man United for like the past uh, kind of 10 years or so, this attempt to recreate the magic by just buying names and trying to stick it all together rather than trying to create a, a coherent team that, that can kind of push things forward. And what happens is you end up not succeeding as much as you want and you end up 
constantly being behind the curve and the paths for 20 years have been ahead of the curve. So I, I, I want to be optimistic. I want to be positive. I want to say this is a playoff team and I do think they are a playoff team, although I think they're, it's going to be a tough division. I think there's three good teams in this division and it's quite and it's quite probable one of those three teams will not make the playoffs despite probably being of the standard that they should. But equally, I can see it being another eight and nine, seven and ten season, it not quite working out. That the the cam is is busted and he's not quite. He's and he's got nothing left to offer. So they have to turn to the rookie, who's basically just a, a poor man's Brady to recreate an offense that teams figured out uh, eight or nine years ago, and it doesn't quite get going. And they they kind of chug along and, and end up going um, nowhere. I want to be wrong about that, but I just can't see it yet. So that's where I'm really interested in seeing how it works out, and I want to see this evolution, but I just can't see it yet and how it's going to come about. Yeah, we've got quite a, a bit of a bit of a variety here of options. So I've I've flared onto the low end side. I think that it's not going to work out, and it's going to end up five and twelve. But then next up we have Ronan at eight and nine. I think it is. Then, yeah, that's one of the ones I feel like. I feel that's closer to the lower end than the upper end. I could like I could see them sneaking into the playoffs. Mm. If it was in a weaker division, I would probably have them uh, in the playoffs. Yeah. Basically. Then we have uh, Harry at ten and seven, with them going out in the wild card, and then Sean all the way up to eleven and six with the wild card. So even with that negativity, it is skewing towards a playoff berth, which is uh, which is a positive. But no, it's it's an interesting. By Pat standards, wild card elimination is is a disaster. So. What is the wild card round like? They're they're like confused. <laughs> Looking around, it's like, what's happening? Here? I believe that was the that was not the joke last year that Tom Brady hadn't played in a wild card round in so long that he was unaware of what it was. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's 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 an interesting one. Like I said, there's there's so many moving parts on that Patriots one in particular, and I think to a lesser to, to a certain extent the Dolphins as well. That it's very hard to kind of see it could work, and if it all lands well, then it'll work pretty well. As you said, it's hard to hard to disagree with Belichick. But yeah, so that'll wrap up the AFC East. We'll have the AFC North coming at you next week. So uh, for now, it's bye from myself. Bye from Roman. Bye. Bye from John. Bye. Bye from Harry. Goodbye. Uh, it's been awful, of course, and Jason. We'll chat to you next week.